0: Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're gonna discuss Apple's April 20th special event, along with Microsoft Surface Refresh. So this is kinda like an Apple versus Microsoft battle here. We have a lot of hardware to cover and not nearly enough time, so we're gonna try to get through it and get you all the tech specs all in one episode. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss color space. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage, and still... Hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to?
1: Well, I had some interesting situations when I was editing a podcast recently. So on Mm -hmm. Monday, my power decided to just go out for no apparent reason. Uh Oh, But uh, thankfully, uh, you did yell at me to get a UPS and to take it out of the box and plug it in enough to have it set up when it happened. So all was good. I saved everything. Turned it all off. Uh, Then a couple hours later, my power came back on and I could get back to editing. So that was great. Uh, But in the meantime of the power outage, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make the Hardware Addicts community proud of me. And I'm going to open all of the tech boxes that I have yet to open and set everything up. Which I did. So all of the stuff is set up that I had yet to open including the router that I talked about, and I don't know how long ago it was. Uh, It's all set up and everything now, too, so everything is good to go.
0: Wendy, that router he's talking about was like seven episodes ago.
1: It could have been.
2: Yeah, it's been a while (laughs) ago. It sounds like this power outage was a necessity in order for him to actually get stuff out of the box. So (laughs) maybe he should have a power outage once a month. No,
1: only, only once I get something. What if I don't get anything in that month?
0: It doesn't yeah. matter. We're still going to cut your power. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a APC battery backup system, which is the one I recommended to you. It's fantastic. Yeah. And a lot of people have a reliance on the fact that their power stays on most of the year. I can't even remember the last time they had a power outage, so they don't think about putting their system on a battery backup. But man, when your power goes out and you're in the middle of something important and you've got that battery backup, you're really thankful to have it. So it's definitely a good piece of equipment to have in your lineup for your computer systems as a battery backup power supply, even if your power is very reliable.
1: Oh, yeah, I, it was wonderful. Uh, when I when it happened, I was like, oh, power's out. Well, okay, well, I'll just save everything now. And it, otherwise, I'd have been, you know, screaming probably something. And uh, <laughs> like there, there's, there's sometimes where the power will flicker and not actually go out, but that's usually enough just to annoy you if you don't have it, but if you have a a, a UPS or in, in my case the APC, it was it's never an issue, and I just I just hear it click on sometimes and go oh hey well welcome glad you're still here, and yep. it's just like it's just like a you know a how do you do type of thing for when it pops up, and it's it's saved me so many times, and at this point I don't understand why I ne- I didn't at any point in my life have a computer running without a battery backup like that attached to it. So Wendy, what have you
0: been up to this week?
2: Well, first thing, I have a really cool announcement for Deal and Extend. We are going to have our first ever live show on May 19th. You can find a link in the description on where you can get some more information and make sure you're sending your feedback, any comments you have to that discourse thread because not only Will you be able to be a part of the show that way? But if you can't make it when we're recording, because it's going to be pretty early on a Wednesday, you can at least throw your two cents in there.
0: Nice. That's going to be awesome.
2: The next thing is an update on my fantastic desk that is almost usable. I poured the epoxy on a Sunday. I did the top coat on a Monday, and then it's supposed to take a week to fully set up. Problem was, it was setting up in my garage in Idaho in April, which means it never hit 70 degrees, even with some extra heaters running Mm. out there. I couldn't take it anymore, and I brought the desk in with the help of my husband. It's heavy. Brought it in on Monday, got it all set up in the room. I started putting things on it, and because... It was dry, but the epoxy wasn't fully cured and hardened. My tower started sinking into the desk and other things, even things that aren't that heavy were leaving imprints. So I had to pull everything off of it. I am standing at my standing desk right now, but everything that's on it is on a piece of packing foam so it can distribute the weight of what's on it. The only things that are connected to my computer are my keyboard, my mic setup, and my mouse. That's it. That's all that's set up. That is
0: really interesting that that happened to you. Now, I'm kind of wondering if you would have let your tower sink in a little bit, would it have created the perfect spot for you to always place your tower?
2: It would leave permanent divots if I set it there and left it because then it would finish curing with those divots in there. The problem is, is what if we move and I want yeah. to the tower somewhere else?
0: That's a good point. Good point. That's, that's pretty interesting though. So you got a little hasty and everything started sinking into your desk. It's an interesting problem. I, I wouldn't have thought of.
2: <laughs> it has been very interesting. It's so much so that I can't even use my mic stand that I've been using because It ratchets down to the desk, right? And so I took the old stand that went to my blue microphone, the snowball style. So it's got the three long, so it's got the three legs on it, kind of funky thing, but it sits really low. So if my desk was at my normal working height, then it would be really hard to hear me. But thanks to the fact that this desk moves up and down, right now it's sitting way above what's comfortable to type on, but it brings the mic close enough that I can record two shows today and be just fine, even though I don't have my desk set up exactly like it eventually will be.
0: So you got the electronic autonomous part working then, even though the desktop itself hasn't cured and you can move it up and down as you will?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Very cool.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have when you when it's all finished. Because I saw the the photos you took of it, but I, I want to see a video of how it looks and everything. Because it looks like the photos you showed, it looks really cool. And there's even a part wherein the latest deal and extend you you said something about how uh, if you look close, you could see where you messed it up. I can go yep. ahead and tell you, I could not find it. I have no idea what you're talking about. So really? it blends in quite well. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, tell.
2: that's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, if you check out. The YouTube version of DLN Extend 53. There are some photos there of the desktop, so you can see exactly what the top looks like, and you can find out the story of how I messed up my desk on that same episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, Ryan, what did you do in hardware? This did you do anything in hardware? I mean, it's very rare
0: that you do. So, you're right. That's very fair. But yes, I actually did something (laughs) really cool. So. You remember the Leon Lee TU-150 Mini ITX case? I call it, of course, the Mini Beast, the Mini Titan. Yeah. So the little Mini Titan had a Dark Rock 4 200-watt TDP cooling fan that was used inside of this little tiny case. It's amazing this little case can fit a fan this big. This is a giant cooling fan for your CPU for the Ryzen that's inside. And I decided for some reason that I just had to switch something out of my machine. And since there's no GPUs available anywhere, what's the next best thing? Well, let's throw an all-in-one cooler in there, cuz, reasons. So I took a Arctic Liquid Freezer Two 120 millimeter fan, and this is an all-in-one CPU water cooler that's compatible with Intel or AMD. It's a very, very efficient, Highly rated fana or all-in-one cooler out there that I wanted to try out. And I wanted to see if I could get the right levels with this cooling solution inside such a mini case. Because a lot of people don't realize, and in fact, when I say a lot of people, I'm even talking about them the case manufacturers themselves. Sometimes the cooling manufacturing manufacturers themselves Showing their cooling solutions in pictures to make it look really cool, where the cooling solution is absolutely, the the placement of the radiator is absolutely inefficient, would create all kinds of problems, clogs, cooling problems, because where you put these cooling solutions really matters. And what do a lot of people who don't do this stuff for a living do? They follow the pictures on the website. And then they don't realize why their cooling all-in-one cooler is making gargling noises or why it has so much noise or why maybe it doesn't keep their CPU cool. So it's actually very difficult. If you have a big case, it's really easy to find a spot for. If you have a small case, it's very hard to make sure you get the position right. But I tried several different positions. And one of the fun things that I did is I put my theory to the test and actually tried it in the wrong positions. And it was creating a 10 degree difference in the cooling just by having in a slightly wrong position uh, inside the case itself. So if you're messing with an all-in-one cooler, make sure that you're putting it in the right positions or trying several different positions to get the right cooling efficiency for your case. But I'm very happy to report that I was able to get this installed and had amazing results. It's at least 15 degrees cooler than the Dark Rock Pro 4 that was sitting on top of it during high workloads so it's a very very nice little cooling solution there.
1: Yeah, that shows a sign of a true hardware addict when you have a completely uh, perfectly fine computer that is already performing at very good pre- uh, you know stats and specs and everything and you're like, yeah, let's make it better. Let's just let's just let's just water cool it now. How about that?
0: For fun. I mean, I didn't even know <laughs> I didn't know if it would actually be any better than that the, the fan cooling solution that was in there because it's such a tight spot or a, a, such a finite amount of space. I, I
1: want some extra work to do on my computer just because I want to. It
0: Rather, seemed like it would be it cool. Whether it
1: works or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, and nice. it, just so people know, generally the pump should not be above the radiator and you never mount your radiator at the bottom of a case. These are some of the rules that if you're not used to installing these things, you're going to have impeding water Uh, flow to the system itself. You could have trickling water noises, gargling noises. If you're hearing any of that, check where you have your pump installed. It should not be above the radiator itself. Tubes should be always mounted downwards, even on the frontal mounts. So that's give you a little bit of tips there for doing your all-in-one cooler correctly.
2: This looks really cool. I've been curious about the water coolers, but I haven't known anybody in real life that has used them and a brand that they've really liked or tested up and had good results with. I'd like to check this out, even though I have a ton of room in my case and really I have so much room in there. It's ridiculous. This would be kind of fun to play with.
0: Yeah. I generally tell people to go with the fan solution. If you're not experienced in your case, of course, Wendy go with the all in one, because when these fail, it's really hard to tell. Like when a fan, fails your normal fan it's pretty easy to tell it doesn't spin anymore when all-in-ones fail there could be a bunch of different failure points and things but i think you would love this solution here i'm very happy i've tried a lot of different all-in-one solutions with the arctic liquid freezer too it's very very nice very happy with it
1: so wendy goes with water cooling ryan goes with water cooling i go with fan
0: Fan, yes. Yeah, that your makes fan. a lot of
1: sense. Yep, yep, Perfect. And something I'll also go with <laughs> is our, our sponsor this week, DigitalOcean, because this episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean announced their app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository to the app platform and let it do all the heavy lifting for you, such as runtime management, And so much more. It has support for multiple programming languages like Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby. Plus, it also has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. And it gives you high scalability with zero infrastructure management, which if you don't know what that means, well... It's it just means you just set it up and go because it handles the runtimes, like I said, but also the the dependencies for your apps. And so you can just push code to production in only a few clicks. And it also means that you can do it with little to no customization because the app platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code, creates containers and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Well, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts.
0: So, this week in the news, Apple had their big event on 420. Which is an interesting date to choose. Naturally. And they released a whole group of updated devices using their new M1 chip. In the first one, we got a refreshed iPad Pro tablet, which now comes with the same chip that's powering the Mac Mini and the new Airs and all of this, the M1 processor. So this is a pretty powerful tablet in that family of lineup here. They're going for this whole true laptop replacement theme. We all remember the commercial, right, where Apple was like, what's a computer, computer?" the little kid, you know, and then they got the tablet. So they're still easily hung up on this because the iPad Pro is targeting all of the working-at-home population. It's got a 12.9-inch screen, or there's a 12.9-inch model, is one of the options with 10,000 mini LEDs that Apple calls the Liquid Retina XDR display. They are better at naming things than a lot of companies. I gotta give them that.
1: That is a ridiculous name, but also it's way better than 90% of everything else.
0: It's true. It's not quite an OLED, which a lot of people were hoping for, but it has a thousand nits of sustained brightness. That is very, very bright. And 1,600 nits of peak brightness. And Apple says that more than 10,000 of these mini LEDs create 2,596 local dimming zones and a 1,000,000 to 1 contrast ratio. That's a pretty nice screen.
2: If you weren't watching as they were doing this live or the redo, if you didn't want to catch the replay of it, we've talked before about having detail in the dark spots just as well as in the bright spots. And that's what this type of display does. Because each LED section is so individually controlled, they can make sure that while you do have these beautiful blacks, there is detail in there as well because there's so much fine-tuning inside of that. And I know you mentioned that they touted this as laptop replacement. I definitely see that. But I also saw in the way that they presented it not just a laptop replacement, but they wanted it to be your camera replacement for doing different production style things like video podcasts. And it was just crazy with the amount of stuff that they're saying, use this for everything.
0: Yeah, they definitely are going after the camera market. If you look at even the last, what, four or five generations of iPhone, I mean, all of the enhancements have been basically in the camera. And so the camera is definitely a market that Apple is heavy going after and, and being able to do video production on these and video editing on these. Of course, you still can't do Final Cut Pro on this, so not quite the laptop replacement maybe they're hoping for, at least yet. But that's a really interesting point because a lot of people were talking about the depth of the blacks that are inside of this display, which you gave a really interesting take on that, that it's more of the details within the dark colors as well, which is what makes the screen so nice.
1: I don't understand why anybody want to take a photo with a giant iPad. That just seems really awkward. But also, the iPad OS is so limited that this whole replacement of a computer doesn't make sense except for consumer stuff. Like, if you're consuming videos or like netflix or something okay sure maybe but limited feature
2: of this is actually slowing down and that is due to the fact that they've already put the m1 chip inside their laptops and such so companies are already porting these apps to use their arm chip and making it more useful on the ipad
0: this is what Apple does better than everybody else. I think if you were to boil it down, besides great marketing, they plan for the future. And Wendy's 100% correct that you're, you're right too, Michael, that today iOS is limiting when you look at Final Cut Pro and some of the things out there. But when you look at the fact that everything's now going to be powered by this same chip, very similar chip, then once all that software gets ported in the laptop line, in the Mac mini line, in the iMac line, the iPad can use it. And so for the long run, this is going to be something where you could totally replace your laptop with this machine and have the same software that you can on an Apple computer. And of course, from a gaming perspective, the only gaming iOS can really talk about is of course their own gaming service, which is extremely limited from the store. But their iPhones themselves have a lot of the great games out there that people like to play, at least the mobile version. So if they're going to have any type of gaming at all, they're going to focus on that those kind of mobile games that they already have in the iOS ecosystem, which, of course, this could play, too, on the iPad Pro.
2: And during their presentation, they actually brought up mobile gaming quite a bit. And you don't even necessarily have to replace your laptop with this device. But because Apple is so focused on having a consistent workflow throughout their, all of their devices or just being able to share things between devices, This really brings that cohesion of their different platforms together into one more. So you can go from working on your Mac mini to, say, on your tablet or on your laptop.
0: Well, even more than that, you can use your iPad as a sidekick. So it actually works as your second screen. So if you're editing from your laptop and you like to have a second screen, you can take your 12-inch ipad and sit it next to it and you can literally have it once you turn on sidekick it uses it as a secondary screen and it's as seamless as having two monitors on a regular desktop
1: yeah but you wouldn't do that because they're replacing computers remember
0: oh yeah my bad i forgot computers don't exist yeah well both ipad pros have the 12 megapixel ultra wide camera that can automatically track you during video calls so there's your at home target there so you if you're moving during video calls or showing something, the camera's going to kind of track you digitally, I guess, cropping you around. That's how that works, right? It kind of just crops you at different positions.
2: I think the sensor itself is an ultra wide or the lens that they have on it is an ultra wide. So it's only showing part of the image at a certain time and it's tracking you, literally tracking you through that image. It showed somebody else coming into the frame as one person was already in it. And it zoomed out a bit to encompass both people inside that frame. There's a ah, lot okay. of stuff software wise going on in the back end to make that work.
0: So the 11 inch model starts at $799, and the 12.9 inch model starts at $1,099. So this is a pretty expensive tablet. When you think about tablets, you remember when the, everybody was all into tablets and it was like three, 400 bucks? Now they're all a grand. Their all starting point is eight hundred bucks here for the eleven inch version.
1: That's a that's a steal right there. Eleven hundred dollars or whatever.
0: Well, you probably want to take
1: extra monitor that you attach to the non-computer that you're not supposed to have anymore.
0: It's a very expensive extra monitor, but hey, at least it's got the liquid retina XDR display there yeah, uh, for you to to look at all the pixels on. But I think the interesting thing is if you really want to turn that expensive iPad into the laptop. And you want that magnetically attached keyboard case to turn it into that laptop where it kind of magnetically attaches, got a little swivel. You're gonna have to spend another $349 for the magic keyboard edition of that. So you got that nice magic keyboard, which is very nice to type on. There's no doubt about it. Much better than a butterfly switches in the other Macs uh, before this recent refresh. And that's gonna cost you 349 extra dollars. So you're in the you're in the laptop price. At that point which really raises the question why not just buy a laptop yeah and be done with it
1: yeah if you're going to go with a, a mac product that that's going to price you about 1400 dollars, you might as well just buy the macbook that
0: just costs yeah and, and then you got the keyboard built in and everything's fine i guess if you really need that tablet functionality you know you'd, you'd go that route but uh otherwise yeah just go with the laptop so i wasn't super stoked about this it was interesting but then they revealed their new redesigned iMac that uses anybody guess what it uses I'm what gonna, kind of, I'm going to take a
1: bet and say the M1.
0: Oh man, how did you know? <laughs> you must have watched the whole presentation.
1: No, it just said M1 everywhere on the titles of everything. <laughs> so like, oh, okay, that makes sense.
0: So you got the 8-core Apple M1 chip. Now this these things are really thin. That's what Apple likes to do. Nobody is really as excited about it as they are. I think they just pat themselves back in the labs like, we made it thinner. We got rid of more ports. Nobody cares.
2: Woo-hoo. It's system on a chip, so you can't change anything. Isn't this yeah. awesome? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny
1: how they care about making the monitor so thin, while at the same time, it's 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 so thin that the uh, headphone jack, can't a plug can't go into it on the back. So they put it on the side like you do on, well, I mean, like the iPhones used to have. Uh, it's, yeah. it's nice that they still have it. Uh, I, for the, for the, this version, I assume the next one's going to remove it, but, uh, it just <laughs> seems, uh, unnecessarily thin. And I, like m- just a little bit thicker and you wouldn't have to do any kind of like compromise and stuff. Like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And you could probably make it repairable if it was a little bit thicker too, which would be a thing that we'll get into here in a minute. I mean, it's really, really thin. It's 11.5 millimeters. Thick. I think a pencil's like what seven or eight millimeters thick, like in diameter. I mean this this thing is this thing is really thin and it weighs less than 10 pounds. So this is the all in one computer, those not familiar with the iMac, 24 inch, 4.5 K retina screen. Is it
1: liquid retina though?
0: A liquid retina, no. You don't get liquid retina. Ah, Only liquid retina XDR is in the iPad Pro, Michael.
1: Okay. All right, fine.
0: You do get 4.5K retina though, which is, you know. That does sound like a pretty good Pretty decent. Yeah, Yeah, it's 24 inches and that to me seems small these days for an all-in-one computer. 24 inches is pretty much the minimum I think you could really get away with, although the one it's replacing was 21 inch, but that's been years, you know, that that's been in production. But it comes with a 1080p FaceTime camera. You get seven different colors. That right there. Colors. Yeah. There's lots that, of them.
1: The whole, like the, the candy shell stuff that they used to do. They're bringing back the colors that people liked, I guess. But, uh, just to be, be I, I, as a designer, I looked at these, uh, ma- these iMacs and I thought, man, they look so good when you're looking at the back of them. <laughs> and then you turn it around when you use it and it looks quite ugly. Like I, I don't know why they changed the colors from the back to the front, or why they have some colors that just don't look good at all. And I, and I, and I've never seen this happen. But it, it, like two things that really bothers me that I know that might it might just be me. Uh the the bezels are white. Why? Yes,
0: you're not the only person. That, a lot of people are complaining about the white bezel. Yeah
1: that is that during
2: the presentation they said it was to help you focus on your work so it didn't distract
1: oh well that's the exact opposite because you (laughs) don't want brightness in your face because that pulls focus which is kind of weird how they're saying that because it's the the literal opposite of what they're
0: saying they have two trillion dollars to say otherwise michael
1: well, also every other designs uh, testing and research says the opposite that dark mode and dark panels actually keep you keep you in in focus on the thing that you're supposed to be looking at rather than the edge of your screen because most people don't even pay attention to their bezels anymore because they're just using the screen. But now when it's like screaming at you, look at me, it's kind of <laughs> screaming. That's <laughs> what that's what it's doing. It just kinda makes it a little bit awkward. Well, uh,
0: it's got a fat yeah. chin underneath it. That's in the, the front, other you're one. You're right. Yeah, that the, too. The, chin, the, mm-hmm. the whole chin in there is kind of distracting. The, the big white bezel going around it is distracting. But the back of it is quite pretty. I actually like it, but only from the back of it. Right. Uh, I like the look of it. I do like that they included their $999 stand or something very similar Fancy. to it. On this particular Mac, because it's got that nice swivel stand, you know the one when you bought the yeah. uh, mo- their separate monitor was like nine hundred ninety nine dollars. It looks like something very similar to that. Of course, the stand doesn't cost nine hundred ninety nine dollars. I'm pretty sure it includes the stand, which is an upgrade for Apple. So appreciate that, Apple. <laughs> That's pretty nice. All cylinders. There you go. Yeah, uh, they're firing on all cylinders there. Well, so. You've got the different colors. You've got the keyboard and accessories that match, of course, because if you're going to, you know, be naturally. sitting there writing your next novel, you got your Starbucks, you got your Mac, and it's an orange. You want a, you want an orange mouse and an orange yeah. keyboard, of course. All, everything and you to match. You need an
1: orange touchpad, of course. Every, uh, yeah, naturally. All I mean of that. Otherwise, you're just you're just being ridiculous. Unless you go two tone, right. you get an orange and like a purple and then you just oh then you're fancy that's
0: the next version you have to pay another $500 for that oh, okay man. cool
1: it's yeah.
2: so 2020 not to have your computer your keyboard and your mouse all match
1: yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly i agree exactly what it's what's interesting is that the previous era of the colored uh iMacs and the MacBook laptops that they had like the clamshell style like those uh those were like interesting that they were colorful because it was you know such a new thing But this just seems like they had nothing to promote, so they just threw some paint on it. And I I don't, I don't see the. Honestly, I think they're ugly, except from the back. And no one's gonna look at the back of their computer. So I don't. Speak
0: for yourself, Michael. I actually thought. Okay, I really thought this thing. (laughs) I actually thought it looked pretty decent. And I like the colors. I like they brought back the colors. I think they could have definitely done more with this for sure. And it's not up to Apple's usual standards. I mean, the colors are very vibrant. I really like the colors the they colors chose. Colors on very, the
1: back are vibrant.
0: They're very fun. Yes. They're vibrant. I think it's pretty hip and cool looking. But on the back. when on the back, yes, only. <laughs> well, you can buy the new iMac in four colors, starting at twelve ninety nine, and you get a whole two ports. With this, including the headphone jack. So you get two Ooh, Thunderbolt two ports. slash USB 4 ports and in seven colors with better specs starting at 1499 at 256 gigabytes of storage. Yes. $1,499 you're going to spend for this computer and you will get the 1990 version of a high-end machine at 256 gigabytes of storage. Yep. Here's the part wonderful. that absolutely
2: drives me nuts. They're actual computer has 256 gigs but you can get the tablet version with two terabytes
0: <laughs> it's it's pretty but? disappointing now i know they plan on allowing you to customize this so you could you can get up to two terabytes in this but you can't add it yourself of course because this is not going to be repairable uh, so you're going to have to pay them to put that storage in. We all know the premium that Apple charges for this. I'm actually really surprised. This, this is, out of everything, the most shocking to me, that they came in at an okay price point. I think it's, you know, typical Apple price for things. You're a little bit overpaying, but you've got a very nice-looking quality. But that storage kills it. This isn't a desktop machine. 256 gigabytes. If you're getting a desktop machine like this, you're going to be wanting to run Final Cut Pro, which the the chip, the M1 chip is perfectly capable of running. You're going to be wanting to do video editing, audio editing, those type of things, pictures, doing photography. How fast would you go through 256 gigabytes, Wendy, in photography?
2: 512 is my boot drive, and I don't ever put anything on it. The drive that I use for current working video, podcast, photos, is
0: a terabyte. So, I mean, right off the bat, if you were to buy this and didn't know any better, you just, I'm going to go and get an Apple because that's what everybody seems to be doing. You would immediately, after spending $1,500 plus tax, would have to go out and spend another three or $400 on an external storage unit to use up one of your two ports that you yeah. have in the back. It's just, it's really outrageous that, They don't allow you to replace the drive inside and they start so small. So really, I think this is Apple, again, perfecting their game, doing great with their shareholders by forcing people to go and do what? Buy lots of iCloud storage because that's where you're going to have to store everything.
2: I also have a question here. During their promotion of this, they started with the iMac and then went to the Mac Mini. So in this, they had some really horrible Mission Impossible ripoff, which someone goes in and steals a chip from an iMac and then they put it in the Mac Mini. Is the chip actually replaceable or is that false advertising?
0: (laughs) That is very false advertising based on everything I know, although I've never personally gone and ripped one apart. Uh, every spec sheet i've seen every design i've seen every i fix it where they've actually ripped these things apart shows it's one board where everything is soldered on from your memory to your drive to your the m1 chip itself is all on one single board so you could take that whole board out and replace it which i'm sure apple's really reasonable on that and do it that way but no you're not going to take any chips out by themselves that i know of anyways the $1,699 will get you 512 gigabytes. Uh, and if Thanks. you do the latter two options, so if you don't go with the cheap $1,299 version, which I don't know, what does that come with? 128 gigabytes? It didn't say in the spec sheet. Maybe it's 256. Uh, I have no idea. But you get you get two additional USB 3 ports if you go from one of the 1499 or the $1,699 version uh, that you can pick up here in the second half of May. And you can order it starting on April 30th. So I know a lot of you are probably drooling to get your hands on it. Memory for all is 8 gigabytes, but configurable to 16 gigabytes of non upgradable RAM. 4480 by 2520 resolution, 218 pixels per inch with support for 1 billion colors, 500 nit brightness, wide color P3, true tone technology, and not a single thing repairable on it, but it's a new iMac. So it's less than ten pounds and eleven point five millimeters thick.
1: I guess you could say it's got a nice screen, and then that's it. Well, it does. It's got
0: a really nice screen. Yeah, Yeah.
1: the M1 chip is. It is kind of impressive for what it is. So it's not like people shouldn't talk about this. Like this is terrible. I'm just saying that I think that it is way overpriced, as Apple is known for doing. But the whole repairability just being non-existent. And the fact that when you do get it, like you have the option to upgrade your RAM only when you buy it initially, because otherwise it's not upgradable. uh, That's that's a ridiculous situation that, you know, Apple is becoming known for. And it's very sad. But again, it's so ugly anyway. Why would you get it?
0: (laughs) Well, I I have to agree with you, Michael. I think that the way you said it is I would be very excited about this machine, even not though I'm not a huge Apple person, I would be very excited about this from the fact that they're producing their own chips. The chips are doing fantastic in their performance in here. I see the future of their convergence across their products. Nobody does it better than Apple in that way. I like the fact that even though some of it is fluff, they do a lot more from a privacy perspective But the big deals with Apple, the reason why I can't get excited for anything they release is you can't repair any of it. You can't upgrade any of it. And that is actually a complete detachment from the Apple of the past. The original iMacs from not so long ago had an amazing ability to just remove a little flap in the back that was magnetically attached on the iMac. And that revealed the RAM so you could upgrade the RAM whenever you wanted. And you could literally walk somebody who's never touched a computer, the inside of a computer, through replacing their own RAM because you didn't have to have a screwdriver. You didn't have to have anything, but you take your finger, you pulled the magnetic slot on the back of the iMac and you could replace the RAM. That is engineering. That is making something that's made to last and you're not wasting all these precious uh, elements that are used to make these machines and somebody can enjoy that for a really long time these new apple computers are not that way at all not only are they not repairable but Apple has a horrible in my opinion track record based on all of the companies that track this type of thing of forced enslaved labor usage in their supply chain which they are just not trustworthy with their supply chain and how they're getting their parts and the, the company years of abuse they charge a premium for all this stuff so all of that makes it so that even though they do push technology forward and you see a lot of people and a lot of companies react to everything that Apple makes, it's hard to get excited for anything this company does.
1: Yeah. And f- and with that said, air
0: tags? Let me tell you what an air tag is, Michael. Are you ready?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You ready for this? Mm-hmm. It lets you track things.
1: Oh, what?
0: Yeah. So you attach one of these air tags to your keys. Okay, you can't do that because you have to buy the AirTag first, but then you buy an accessory that allows it to attach to keys because there's no hole in it. So it doesn't um, come with a... a no, thing to- there's no hole and there's no holder for it to attach to keys, but you can buy an accessory in addition to buying the AirTag that allow you to attach it to your keys. That's wonderful.
1: It's like everything is separate at Apple now, like you know, including chargers. And now we have uh, a new pr- device that in order to use it, you have to buy another
0: thing. Yeah. Well, what you could do, though, if you buy this is just slip it in your backpack or pocket because you don't need a hole for that, right? You don't need a keychain or anything for that. You just drop it in a pocket and it'll work. So there's, there's that. But basically, it uses the Find My app. So it's the same as tracking any of your Apple devices. If you have an iPhone or anything like that and you've used it, it's really actually pretty awesome technology. I love that they focused on the privacy here. They feature encryption and location data, nor the histories ever stored on the tag itself. So somebody was able to get a hold of it and try to get information off of it. None of that is stored there. They even stated very clearly and in plain words, Apple doesn't even know the location of your devices or its identity at all. So they're trying to really push the privacy factor here with their devices to differentiate them from other things like tiles and the other options that are out there in the tracking world. They also made it so that if anyone puts a tracker near you, I really like this, and your phone will ping you to let you know an unidentified tracker is traveling with you. So if somebody walks by with the tracker, it's not going to do anything. But if that, that tracker keeps following your destination as you're moving along, it's going to reveal to you that, hey, somebody's put a tracker near you. So all the creepy people were planning to do creepy things with this. They can't do that because Apple actually, this was a really good idea, thought of that and so it will let you know that there's a basically a tracker near you within proximity. And after a certain amount of time, it'll actually start beeping that tracker that's near you so that you can find it and get rid of it. Does that apply to non-Apple users?
2: No, it wouldn't because you wouldn't have the app to tell you that it's tracking you. That seems this like is a giant only problem. for Apple.
0: Huh. I didn't think about that, Michael. Dang it. Dang it. So if I know you have a Samsung, I could put my Apple tracker in your bag, and then pretty just pretty much y- y- you'll never know.
1: Yeah, because it won't tell Maybe. not it won't tell Android users. That seems like a pretty uh, open. Uh, Nobody likes Android
0: they, users, anyways.
1: Well, I mean, as an Android user, uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like this seems like a, a thing that they're talking about how they want to make sure people aren't aren't being able to do creepy things, but they are making it where you know, the vast majority of people who have smartphones are not on Apple. So in that situation, they kind of should have at least an app that will notify you of some sort. Uh, you know, just just a thought there.
2: Then you still, as a user, have to have it installed. So they are doing a great job protecting those people that have Apple and not only that, but have this app set up in order to use the Find My. So if you have an Apple device, but don't have Find My set up, you still won't be notified.
1: Well, that's so just interesting it's really interesting up too. to
2: the user to make that happen.
1: Well, I mean, it also means they ha- they still have to have an app for Android, which I don't think they do.
0: Well, if the whole world would just get on Apple's ecosystem, this wouldn't be a problem now, would <laughs> if it? If everybody
1: enters the walled garden, it'd be so right. fine. Why can't everybody just yeah. be in the walled garden?
2: <laughs> then they wouldn't charge $1,000 a phone. It'd probably $4,000 a phone. Heck yeah, I don't yeah, see the problem. <laughs>
0: Now Apple blew me away with this last statement. This was probably the most exciting news out of the entire thing for me. I my jaw hit the floor. My heart skipped. I got geek chills. All of it happened right at this moment when they said, I don't know if I should even say this out loud cuz it's is it. going to have effect on everybody. Uh a replaceable battery. What? In Finally. the AirTag. Yeah.
1: I don't understand you, I don't understand what you mean. So, are yep. you saying that Apple learned what the word replaceable means
0: yeah and with a standard 2032 (laughs) battery like a standard battery used for shock collars or bark collars or you know it's it's a standard battery you see everywhere 2032 battery and apple actually made it so that you can replace it yourself Uh, i know i'll let that set in for a minute
1: yeah i'm gonna need a minute i'm gonna need a
0: minute Now, they can't do that, of course, with their laptops or iMacs, or they can't do that with any of their other products, but they did manage to do it in AirTag. So that's some engineering feat right there.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept that, like, in terms of, like, of course, they didn't invent it. This is also known as, like, tiles or something in the Android world or whatever. And uh, this, this is seemingly a better implementation of that concept, which is what Apple really does. They take everyone else's idea and make it better. Typically what it seems to be anyway. Right. And this does seem like a like a cool approach to doing it. But I don't know if I would think that it's, you know, worth it in general. Like, I, I don't lose my keys. I just put them in the same spot every time. So that, I mean, that's a solution. Loser.
0: Oh, I mean, no, that's a pretty good idea. It's
1: just, you know, you can't lose it if it's always there when you need them to be there.
0: Well, you'll be able to pre-order them on Friday for $29, and they'll be available on April 30th. You can also get a four-pack if you're a very uh, savvy shopper and get it for just 99 bucks for four of these Ooh. little tracker devices. So the last thing they announced is a refreshed and more powerful Apple TV, a new remote, and a purple iPhone 12, because I know... Everybody out there who has iPhones was like if only the dang thing was in purple. Well now, you got it. You got a purple iPhone 12.
1: So, there you go. I th- those are okay. Uh I did want to bring up one thing. I'm not sure if you saw it, but I was curious cuz I did like look at the like the carrying case stuff. I don't know why, but there is a carrying case on there on their store for $349.
0: Yeah, that's the name brand one when you really want to show your friends you don't know what to do with all of so, your money.
1: It's yeah, it's it's a wonderful concept. It made me just laugh out loud. Like I I just burst out laughing as like, "Okay, wait a minute. You're going to spend $350 on something that you expect
0: to lose." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. $350 on something that costs $29. You're getting a cover for something that's 29 bucks that costs $300. It's It's absurd, and honestly, it makes Apple laughable when they allow that kind of crap even to be a part of their store, because it's just, it's complete waste nonsense that Apple gets to be known for in this.
2: Well, how much were those wheels that were just wheels that they
0: (laughs) had? I think it was like
1: 400 or something, 500. It
0: it was some insane amount of money. Ridiculous. Yeah. They, they they just, they really kind of shoot themselves in the foot, but it doesn't hurt them when they shoot themselves in the foot because they're trillions of dollars, and I'm sure they'll sell a bajillion of all of this because people just eat it up because the PC world outside of Apple is just too dang confusing, and stuff looks old, and they're still using 1920 by 1080 screens everywhere, and they're using plastic frames that indent, and keyboards that are crap, and speakers that are junk, And they have inconsistent supply chains across the manufacturers. And people wonder, why do people buy Apple? Because there's one thing, they're consistent. They consistently at least look nice. So they're approachable to the non-geeks out there. They think they can get something nice. It looks nice. You know you're going to have a good keyboard, good screen. And you're going to have good speakers. You're going to have a nice experience utilizing their equipment. And that's why people keep buying it. It
1: all looks nice except the new iMac.
0: Yes, unless you're looking at the back of it. And there's one thing yeah. I want to remind everyone that uh, we talked about repairability. We talked about the supply chain issue, but also I didn't realize how terrible Apple's warranty was. Uh, the iMac only comes with a 90 days of complimentary technical support and one year limited warranty. Wow.
2: How did you not know that their warranty was crap? Because every time somebody takes something into Apple to have it fixed, it seems like the go-to is, oh, it's not fixable. You just have to buy a new one. Or, oh, the cost to have this fix is almost the cost of a new one. So you might as well buy a new one. Apple stocks.
0: Yeah, and they got the nice trade-in for it. And of course, you could buy Apple Care, which is just a little bit additional cost. But if you're spending $349 for a cover for your tracker, that's no big deal at all. So Microsoft has been trying to up the quality of the PC market utilizing their Surface line. And their Surface line is super nice. So they have a new laptop, the Surface Laptop 4 that came out. And I figured we'd kind of, even though Apple didn't release a new laptop this round, I still think because Microsoft released the Surface Laptop 4 and Apple's iPads really want to be a laptop and things. And they also have, of course, their new M1 laptop, so we could kind of take a look at what microsoft's doing here so you get two choices now with the surface laptop this i was pretty excited to see you can get the intel or amd spec nice so the battery life on the 13.5 inch amd ryzen 5 microsoft surface edition processor 19 hours in this laptop that's pretty fire the 15 inch edition with an amd ryzen 7 has 17.5 hours of battery life. And then of course the Intel, as we know, a little bit more power hungry, 13.5 inch, 17 hour battery life and 15 inch Intel Core i7, 16.5 hours of battery life. But overall, all of those battery lives there are pretty impressive.
2: A full work day.
0: Full workday right on there. Microsoft is unfortunately going with the older Ryzen 4000 series Zen two based APUs rather than their more recent Ryzen 5000, but still a very powerful, very capable processor. Also, this price here starting at $999 for the Surface Laptop 4 13.5 inch with an AMD Ryzen 5 4680U, eight gigabytes of RAM and a 256 gigabyte SSD. The 13.5-inch model tops out with the Core i7. Here we go with Intel's naming scheme, 1185G7. With 32 gigabytes of RAM and a 1 terabyte storage for $2299, and the base 15-inch system includes a Ryzen 7 4980, U8 gigabytes of RAM, and the 256 gigabytes at $1299. So those are pretty decent prices, I think, for this particular lineup of Surface laptops. What say you?
1: I, I think I think that it's quite nice uh, in terms of like the price doesn't seem excessive. It also doesn't seem cheap because the specs don't seem that great. And I could just be wrong about that being the software sage and whatnot. But the price does seem a little bit high, but not insanely high. But I will say from the front looking at the the device, it doesn't look terrible. So Apple could learn something.
2: I actually own two different Surface devices that I picked up used. In reality, they're some of my favorite lightweight laptops that I've ever owned. I really think that Microsoft is much better priced on these devices new than Apple, as we just talked about. I personally would never buy one brand new. I think they are overpriced brand new for what you can do on them. I'd rather take that $1,000, $1,200 and use it on a better system or upgrades for my main system instead of using that as a laptop. So while I do think these devices are absolutely awesome, they're not something that I would buy new. I'd wait and get them used at a reduced price because I do think it is good hardware. It's pretty solid hardware. I've loved the aluminum frame on them. they seem to go everywhere and are super sturdy great hardware i just wouldn't spend that much on it
0: now i've had several of their tablets as well of course their new release is their laptop line but i've had several of the surface tablets and i've loved them all equally so surface pro specifically because you could load linux on it as well so you could dual boot it with the linux operating system which is really nice And they were very functional. The keyboards that were with them actually turned them basically into a very portable laptop that you could easily slide into your bag. Now, this is, of course, a full-in laptop. So this isn't the Surface tablet we're talking about. But I do agree that it looks gorgeous. It has fantastic specs. 13.5-inch screen with a 1920, I'm kidding because nobody does that except every other PC manufacturer. This actually has a 2256 by 1504 resolution, 201 pixels per inch in aspect ratio of three to two, oh. or you can get the 15 inch Pixel sense display at 2496 by 1664, also with an aspect ratio of three to two, all aluminum case, beautiful looking laptop. Plug-in accessories with USB-C, USB-A, Surface Connect, and headphone jacks. You get Dolby Atmos audio. You get PixelSense touchscreen, HD video calls. They kind of packed a lot of great stuff in here. And you compare that to Apple's lineup, if I had to choose, I'm going to get a Surface laptop because I bet you I could put Linux on it.
1: That actually sounds very good. The displays when out when you were first talking about the, the specs of the Ram and that, well, that doesn't sound that great in terms of the price, but the display sounds fantastic. And the th- three by two ratio. I am a big fan of that ratio with the high, like the high uh, PPIs and stuff like that with the four Ks and two Ks and that kind of thing. So uh, I am very excited to see the three by two being big, be, you know, becoming a a thing that big manufacturers are doing now because it's, it's definitely an improvement, and that is, that is something that does pique my interest at least a little bit in terms of it being the cost.
0: I agree with Wendy. Ultimately, you could probably pick one of these up used in a few months for a much better price, uh, and if you're in a market for a really nice laptop... Uh, then I would check that out. I like that they give you the choice again with the AMD and Intel. I like that they focused on the speakers in this and the screen, at least spec wise. Of course, you have to get the hands on one to see if they really nailed it. And on repairability, which we dogged on Apple pretty hard for, the Surface Laptop line had a worse reputation than Apple previously for repairability. If that's even possible, apparently it was. But that all changed with the Surface Laptop 3, which was the most repairable of the line and you could get in there and change many of the components although they did glue down the battery which was really annoying even in the surface laptop 3. i'm hoping they fixed that nobody's tore apart one yet because they just came out but i'm hoping they fixed that in the surface laptop 4 because like i said the iterations of generations when they received the complaints unlike apple who doubles down on it and is like we made this stupid decision and we're going to stick with it and even make it worse Microsoft was actually listening to people and made some changes to the Surface laptop here. So hopefully in the four, we keep that much higher repairability cycle going on. And uh, this could be a really nice laptop for somebody. We also have the Surface Pro tablet, which is their competitor, of course, Surface Pro X. So check that out. Or the Surface Studio 2, which is their all-in-one computer, which is way nicer looking than any of the iMacs could ever wish to be. I mean, it is freaking gorgeous with an amazing stand that actually allows you to tilt it so you could draw on it. But it starts at $3,499. So I really feel like if they want to go after the iMac lineup here, they're going to need to come down to the iMac prices at least with something in the Surface lineup that's all in one. I would love to see that because I think they could really... If, if they keep that same beautiful design, really nice screen, I think they could dominate the Mac in this arena.
2: Yeah, but is the Surface Studio 2 locked into only 16 gigs of RAM? I don't understand why Apple, their top RAM is 16 gigs.
0: Well, the good news is you can configure your Surface Studio 2 with multiple terabytes of storage so the smallest storage is one terabyte and starts at 16 gigabytes and goes all the way up to it looks like at least 32 and I do not know if it's repairable though for this particular machine so I have to go and research some teardown videos on this but it is gorgeous and if they could get the cost down I think they could be a competitor to the IMAX here but 34.99 you're looking at only professionals at that price.
2: This Surface Studio 2 reminds me of a gigantic graphics tablet with the way that you can bend it down and draw on it. So it's almost like you take one of the Wacom tablets where you can see what you're drawing and make it massive with more functionality. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a PIN to easily access your password manager. As well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwardencom DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use because it is 100% open source. Plus. You can self-host it and they do security audits where they share that information with you. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year? You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, plus vault health reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation, priority customer support. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com D-O-N to get started for free. But if you're like me, you want to show your appreciation to this super awesome open source project and get that premium edition for just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts.
0: All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and school us on color space.
2: This seems to be a term that's flying around all over the place. And while watching the Apple presentation, this was also brought up again. So I thought it'd be a good time to actually explain what color space is and bring it down to not only what you're seeing when you're looking at specwise and they're telling you color space, but maybe how you should export your images while using color space. If you've ever looked at a chart that is showing different colors on it and the different color spaces you'll see this bell curve style graph so you'll have blues purples on your left hand corner greens in the top and red oranges over in the right hand corner where that came from was the international commission on illumination in 1931 this graph has been around for a very long time there is a lot of very complicated math that goes into making the shape of that graph. And usually you're only seeing it in a 2D format where this is actually a 3D graph. So if you're able to manipulate it and turn it on its side, white would be at the very, very tippy top and black would be on the bottom. So not only are you going through different colors, you're going through different luminosities. How they came up with this graph was looking at a normal healthy eye to see what colors it could see. And through that research, this is what they came up with. Now, the two main profiles that you'll see in photography, and if you have a camera that allows you to change the color profiles, you'll see sRGB. And if you remember, RGB is red, green, blue, and then Adobe RGB. So your camera sees in red, green, blue, your eyes see in red, green, blue monitors project images to you in this red, green, blue format. Now, if you were to take a look at these overlaid on that graph, the CIE graph that was developed in 1931, it'll show you how much color you're getting that the human eye can actually see. sRGB is a pretty small amount of that but most computer screens come in sRGB more these days have more color than that, but the average is sRGB. If you're putting these images on web, most browsers are going to show these in an sRGB color format. Adobe RGB was developed in 1998 and has a much wider color gamut than sRGB. Now, what do these actually mean? If you go into any color working program, say GIMP, and you can see the different numbers that represent that color, basically what those are are coordinates. So think of them as latitude and longitude on your map. This shows where that color is with inside that color format with inside the SIE human eye, what they can see. So say you take a picture that is in the Adobe RGB format, but you're looking at it on a web browser that only supports sRGB. That image has colors that are now invisible. It cannot show some of the color complexity that is in Adobe RGB, and that has to be translated. Sometimes you can do that manually. If you're exporting an image for sRGB is to be used on the web, leave it there. You really don't need any more color format for that. But if this image is going to be printed, having the additional color format is always positive. But if you're shooting in RAW, it doesn't matter if your camera is set to sRGB or Adobe RGB because all of that color data is still there and you can continue to manipulate it. Then we come down to how do you export it? When you're exporting, you have intent. The two that you'll use the most will be perceptual and relative color metric. Say you have an image that has this really, really wide color gamut because you've used something like Adobe sRGB, but you need to bring that down to sRGB for web use. Not all of those colors that are in the Adobe will be there in the sRGB. So it'll take what's most similar on those ends and just kind of shrink it down. So you'll still have close to the same range from lights to darks, but the colors won't match exactly.
0: It's like a computer's version of invisible ink.
2: Yes. <laughs> I like that. You know, yes, you have
0: to have absolutely. a magic marker to rub across your screen manually to reveal the colors that otherwise wouldn't be displayed. <laughs> I like it.
2: Exactly, and relative color metric means that it takes everything on the extreme ends, your lightest and darkest, or whatever those colors are on the extreme ends that don't fit within what you're translating, the color profile you're translating it to, and it makes it all one color. So if you have an image that has a lot of variation and there's a lot of color that's going to be outside those color profiles, all of that will turn into exactly the same color. So how you export that image really depends on the type of colors that are in it. Now let's go back to the Apple example. They said that their monitor is going to have on this iMac, the P3 colors. That is in between your sRGB and the Adobe RGB. So it has more color to it than your standard sRGB, but not as much color flexibility as Adobe, which if most of the content you're seeing is sRGB, or in video terms, that would be 709, it's a lot less color representation So overall, while it's really cool to have if you're working with colors and need to have more colors represented, if the content you're viewing doesn't have the format to show those colors, it's really not helping you out at all.
0: So if you were to get a monitor that was sub-SRGB, you're going to notice a difference, though, in those colors because there are a lot of computers, frankly, that come with very core color space and reproduction in the monitors there. If you got sRGB, you're kind of hitting the normal gamut of colors that you would expect to see, but nothing spectacular. And what iMac's saying is there's somewhere in that space that sits between the sRGB and the Adobe RGB, so above average, basically, for their monitors.
2: Most monitors, if you're buying a modern-day computer or a modern-day display, It will come with sRGB. That doesn't mean that the colors are accurately calibrated. So this is one of those situations where you would need to use color calibration software in order to get accurate color instead of it being necessarily a fault of the color space you're using. It's more how those colors are being told to be displayed.
0: And of course, probably the brightness of your monitor. Like I have a really... Nice MSI Optics Mag 321 CQR curved monitor. But in many ways, the reproduction of colors on this is very flat compared to another monitor that I have by ASUS where the colors just pop. And you couldn't really tell until I got this other monitor and I moved my web browser from one to the other. But in a lot of ways, it's that those nits, that brightness that it brings out that's really flat with the MSI monitor in a comparison to the Zeus monitor that I have. So I would think the brightness can make a big difference. So there's a lot of factors. You can't just look at the color space and say, this is a perfect screen. Much like you can't look at the resolution alone and say, this is a perfect screen. It's kind of all these factors combined.
2: Absolutely. And anybody who's taken the time to do color correction on a monitor you'll see with inside that setup that you adjust the brightness on that monitor to fit a certain point to help make sure that your white balance, so that'll help set every single color around it as it's being displayed, is correct. So once my main computer is fully set up for brightness and color reproduction, I do not change that because it'll change the white point setting that is being displayed.
0: So when you look at the iMac Pro, kind of going back to that, and you look at where they sit with the color space, and you look at the knits, and you look at the resolution, all of that combined does make a pretty nice setup and why probably a lot of people like to edit on Macs and the Mac screens.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They do make a beautiful screen. They do have gorgeous color reproduction that does make photo editing, video editing, graphic design, very nice on these type of things.
0: But you just don't have any space to store any of your photos.
2: Yeah, you know, you need to use one of your two or three ports to have external storage because you know, everybody wants that.
0: Well, I learned a lot in that color space discussion there because this is something you see a lot of companies talking about, especially in the higher end screens. And obviously it's a big deal in photography as well and it really is difficult to kind of understand these terms and in a, in a way that you can utilize it to make a good purchase but now i kind of understand where a lot of these sit with the srgb and adobe looking at this color scale here which we'll have a link to in the show notes kind of a shape that allows you to see the different colors and where these particular srgb adobe rgb and prophoto rgb sit kind of really helps you visualize why this matters so much
2: Seeing it visually really does make a difference. So we can talk about the different color spaces all day, but until you look at a graph like this and see them mapped out, that's where it helps you understand just the wide range there is between these different color spaces.
0: Well, that's it. Our 34th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Destination Linux Network. Head right now on your RGB Adobe RGB color-spaced monitor to DestinationLinux.network to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much to fill your brains with.
2: Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow.
0: We hope you enjoyed the
1: show, and we'll see you next time in the color space for another Liquid Retina episode of
2: Hardware Addicts.